Well, amen, church. We've already experienced just a powerful time of worship. And I believe when we open God's Word that God's Word wants to impact our lives equally. And so as he's led you to this point to now see what his word has to say, here would be my guess, is that some of you are here this morning and that maybe the even, it hasn't even dawned on you the thought that God might want to interact with you and speak to you in a special way. In fact, that God might have designed and made up this service, worked on my heart as I wrote this message, and like you were the name on his heart. You were the one he wanted to speak to, maybe even specifically. And so this morning, I want to make sure that as we go before him, that, that you know, I've been praying specifically that God would find, help someone find releasement this morning. Just somebody has something they've just been clutching onto. It's an obstacle. It's a weight. And you need to find releasement. And that's what I'm praying for you this morning. If that's you, maybe you roll that into your week as the Lord speaks to you and pray for that uh, as well and interact with God that way. Can I invite you this week to be praying for our middle schoolers that are heading off to middle school camp Uh, this afternoon? They'll be headed off. And, you know, that's an impactful time. And uh, for some of them, like, this is their very first camp experience or the very first, like, teen camp experience. They've been coming out of the kids' camp. And so uh, pray along uh, with them uh, this week for for just a phenomenal time. So we're walking through this series called Christian Atheist, and really the whole gist as we're doing this is we're saying that even though we're believers and we would say, I claim Jesus Christ, he's my Lord and Savior, right, that there are these moments, sometimes intentional, sometimes big and small, sometimes they hit us subtly, where we actually live as God doesn't exist or that his promises are not trustworthy, and we're calling that the Christian Atheist. Last week, we talked about when you believe, but you don't know God, and what it really means to know God, and how we can find a closer connection with God. And if you weren't here last week, then I encourage you, go online at our windoverhills.org and listen to that teaching last week. We're going to continue this week with a topic that I think is intriguing to us. When you believe in God, but you're ashamed of your past. You're ashamed of your past. Now, half the room just shut down right there because men, I know how it is, right? Men, we say, well, we're men. I mean, we're not ashamed of anything. Like, I mean, we do it, we move on in life, right? We don't live in shame. In fact, if, if we were uh, blunt, we, men, we'd say, well, that's kind of our, our women that, that they, uh, you know, live in some of the shame and, and of that. Are, can I just tell you this, men? Hogwash. Um, this is for everyone, now, uh, we may not talk about it as much, guys, because we don't like to discuss our feelings quite the same, but this topic is powerful for all of us, that there's these moments in time where actually we are just held captive by looking at our past and saying, I can't believe I did that. Why did I do that? Why was I that way? It, it's set in course of action for me for my life, or how would things have been different if I had never met that person, did that, gave myself to this person, whatever, on and on and on. All of us fit into this category. And if we're not careful, what we can actually do, if we can live our life as believers in Christ and believe that God has no power over shame and guilt. And the Bible would say otherwise. And so that's what we're going to walk through this morning. If you've got your sermon notes, uh, if you pull those out, because I'm going to just kind of walk through them this morning. And I think these are important for you to take away and add to your daily devotions. Can I start off with this? The top five things that we feel shame about the most. Now, the list probably goes on and on and on. 
But here's the top five things. Number one, giving into a craving. Have you ever been there? Like you gave into a craving. I'm never going to do that again. I'm never going to say that again. I'm starting to do this. I'm not going to do that. And then before you know it, like 24 hours hasn't even gone up and you've already given in to that. I mean, January 1st, every single year, right? Giving into a craving, we feel kind of shame and guilt over that. The second one is body image. I just don't like what I look at. Like when I look in the mirror, I just, I, I, I can't handle what I'm looking at. This body image goes even further is that not just do I not like, I mean, because I can look and go, I'm not crazy about that, but you know, everybody else seems to be okay with it. This shaming actually is like when somebody looks at me, they must be grossed out. They must feel the same way that I feel. And we heap the shame on us. Third thing on this list of top five is past relationship or a physical or sexual encounter with someone. These are powerful things that hold on to us. They grab us. We say, how did I ever date that person? How did, and I've seen it for many times in ministry, how did I marry that person and then found out who they were? Or how in the world did I go home that one night with that person? And the shame and guilt that comes from that. Number four is being found out. Hidden secret. You've held on to it, maybe for a long time, short time, doesn't matter. But somehow you slipped up, right? It got out into the open. And now uh, somebody knows, maybe everybody knows. Maybe it was just widely public. Maybe it even cost you family, job, whatever. But some type of hidden secret, you've been found out. And then finally, this one, this kind of threw me. It doesn't quite feel like it fits with the other four. But this last one on the list, top five things we feel shameful of, being late, running late. Now, that's very interesting that there's enough people that like, I mean, they literally feel like shame for coming in late. Now, listen, clearly, for many of you, this does not fit on your top five list, as I can tell on Sunday mornings. So you're doing just fine in this category. I mean, you maybe slide in another one for your top five, right? Um, but I would guess if you work down that list, like if you aren't affected by that list, you immediately, just like that, the thing that you are affected on popped into your head. And you're living it. And sometimes you're living it every single day. Sometimes you squash it for a little while and then something reminds you and it floods back in and you have to deal with that for a little while. So this morning, we're going to just walk through this. This is what happens when we start to feel these things. This is the process of shame. Take a look at your notes. The first thing is we experienced an intensely painful event. Maybe it was your fault. Maybe you made the choice. Maybe you just were like, man, I was young, I was, I was not very mature, um, I was so selfish back then, um, I was so naive, whatever, but you made the choice, right? Maybe you look back and go, no, that's just who I was. I mean, I was mean, I was a jerk, I was a punk, I was whatever, and that's how I lived. Or maybe it wasn't your fault at all. Somebody heaped it on you, you were abused. Something that, it wasn't your fault at all, but this painful event came into your life and now you're having to deal with it. The second thing is we believe the lie that our pain and our failure is who we are. Like when we buy into this, what we're saying is there's no such thing as transformation. Like I can't change. I don't become new. I'm not something different that what I did, and now I'm going to live in the pain of that. I'm going to live that I failed in that area, and that is who I am. It's just, it's just me. And then finally, we trap ourselves into thinking that we can never recover. There's no redemption. There's no coming back from it. 
That, that we started out on this planet kind of up here in the perfect category of human beings. And every time we did this, we just a little notch. We keep notching ourselves down and down and down and down over here. And there's no growth back. There's no way I can get back up. We believe this, that we've trapped ourselves. There is no recovering. The result, shame, shame, guilt, condemnation on ourselves. whichever word you would like to use. Do you remember the story of Peter in God's word? That Peter was one of the closest disciples to God. I mean, he loved Jesus. There's no doubt he loved Jesus. I mean, they were so tight. And yet Jesus turns to Peter and he says this in Matthew chapter 22. It's in your notes. But Jesus said, Peter, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even knew me. Not possible, Jesus. Never going to happen. I mean, can you imagine, like, that is like me three times, right, before tomorrow morning. I'm going to deny that Shri, my wife of 21 years, that I'm going to deny that she's my wife three times. Like, that's just, I can't comprehend how that's possible. And Peter, for three years, following Jesus, one of the closest, he thought the same. Well, guess what? It happened. And then we get this passage in Matthew chapter 22. At that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Suddenly, the Lord's word flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you'll deny three times that you even know me. And Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. One of the translations says, left in utter shame. Can you identify? I mean, do you live your life sometimes that way? Does it creep back into your life? This morning, I want to just share with you a couple simple passages because ultimately our goal is what I've been praying for this week, that God would give you releasement, that God would say, look, remember, you are a believer, you're a child of God like we sung about, and you don't have to be a slave to this. You don't have to be held captive to shame and fear. Now, we're not talking about not forgiving somebody or seeking forgiveness from somebody. Those are absolutes in the Bible. We're talking about holding on to the guilt and saying, this is who I am. And I want to pray for releasement for you this morning. So let's take a look at these two points, uh, if you would. And then we're going to have a, a little time of, of introspective thought and prayer at the end. Number one, how do you overcome shame? The first thing you need to do is you've got to accept that which cannot be changed. You've got to simply accept what cannot be changed. Do you understand there are things in your life you did that were done to you? You can't change. There's nothing you can do about it. And so accepting that is the starting point of moving forward. You ever stood in a line somewhere, like for a product or for a store or business or something, and like the business closed or they ran out of whatever you were standing in line for and before you actually got up to the window or to the door inside the store? Has that ever happened? Like I see sometimes these lines down at the Coliseum, wrapping around the Coliseum of people standing in line for tickets. And I'm thinking, are they all getting tickets? Will they all get in? Or will somebody get up close and if they're all out, sorry, everybody go home. If you haven't experienced this, just go stand in line with the DMV about 20 minutes before it closes. And you'll understand exactly what we're talking about here. Getting up there and them saying, hey, we're done. We're closed. we got to go home. We ran out. Uh, we've got nothing for you. What do you feel like at that moment? What in the world did I just do with my time? That was a complete waste of time. Now, I don't know how long people wait in lines for these type of things. I know there's been a time or two in my life where I've waited in line for like a roller coaster, and they've come out and say, hey, they've closed it down. Something's going on. I don't know. And we all kind of scattered throughout the park to look for something else. What a waste of time. What, a wa what did I do with that? I'll never get those hours back or minutes back or whatever it was. 
Can I just tell you from a biblical perspective, what God would tell us here is that when we feel the shame, when we keep heaping shame and guilt of something in our past lives upon us, it is just like waiting in that line. It's a waste of our time. It brings no value for us. There's nothing for you at the end of the line. There's nothing that you're going to receive if we continue to heap it upon us. Here's what the the psalm says, Psalm chapter 51. Take a look at it. It's in your notes. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion. It's describing who God is. Blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. Now, if you're a parent and you've ever tried to get a stain out of one of your kids' clothes, um, I know Sri has done it with my clothes. Uh, What a victory when you actually get the stain out, right? You actually get it cleaned out. Amazing. So you don't have to go to the store and buy anything else. Or in my family, you don't have to send the kids to school with a stain on their clothes. So there's victory in that. That is what he's describing here. Blot out the stain of my decision, what I did in my past. Then he goes on. He says, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence. Please don't take your Holy Spirit away from me, but restore to me the joy of what? Of my salvation and make me willing to obey you. Listen to what the psalmist is writing here. First, wash me clean from my guilt. That what he's actually saying is, look, you can be washed clean, that that can be removed and be gone. It doesn't have to be there any longer. I mean, I understand there might be stains and clothes that don't come out, but in God's word, he's saying, no, there's no such thing when that comes to our past that he will wash that away entirely. Do you believe as a believer in Christ that that's possible? It's what God's word is declaring. Some of us hold on to that, and as if if in our theology we have said, God is the forgiver of sins, not this one. And God would say, no, it's not true. And secondly, the psalmist reminds us that he can actually create a clean heart within us, that he can look at us and say, I will make you new. I will clean up your life and clean your heart. You know what that means when it says clean your heart? That, that doesn't just mean your, your hands and feet will do different actions from now on. That means what you're most passionate about in your life will change. Listen, if you're most passionate, if you were just honest and say, my, I'm most passionate about myself, I'm just that way. I mean, I take care of some other people, my family, my kids, and those things, but my most passionate thing is myself. If you'd say that, God would say, I'll create in you a new heart. The most passionate thing in your life will be different. That's what he's saying. Create something brand new inside of me. And finally, restore the joy of what? My salvation. Now, I've been in ministry for 25 years to some capacity. I've been around the church. And I have seen many, many people come to know the Lord as their Savior. And when they come to know the Lord, you know what happens? I've never seen one come and say, come into my life, be the Lord of my life, whatever, Lord, whatever. There's this joy and exuberance and excitement that something is new, something has changed in my life. Even some that are still growing and being discipled understand this joy of salvation. And he's saying here, look, I want to return you to restore the joy of saying yes to God, saying yes to Jesus Christ. I want to restore that joy. That's an amazing thing. That's what the psalmist is saying. How does this happen? You got to accept that you can't change what's happened. It's done and gone. That's the starting point. Maybe for you this morning, like that's where you need 
to hunker down. Like that is the gold for you of this message this morning. You just keep reliving. Why did I do that? There was a time we went hiking on uh, uh, this this big kind of boulder above ground, huge thing, and it just kept curving like this down to straight up and down. And I can remember with the kids at a small age, like what I feel now is pushing the edge, like walking so that we could keep seeing. See, I think we're okay. I think we're okay here. I think we're okay here. I think we're, you know. Now, nothing bad happened. But every once in a while, I lay in my bed and the image of that, the feeling of that hike and where we were comes to my mind. And it is as if I am held captive for that period of time till I fall asleep on what in the world was I thinking? My kids could have gone right over the edge. What in the world? They got to build a railing there. I got to get a committee going or something. I mean, and this just rolls and rolls in my head. Do you have something like that in your life? Something you did? Accepting you can't change it. You got to let it go. Got to let it go. And then it's the pathway to number two here. Take a look at it in your sermon notes. It's on the back side. The pathway to the second thing is that we have to embrace that God can change your future. Uh, Do you believe that, Christians? Like that God can actually change your future. This past week, we uh, went to our annual conference where all of our Wesleyan ministers from this half of the state come together. Greensboro all the way out, Asheville all the way to the edge of the state. And we all come together. And there are so many young folks out there, men and women, they might have been going through college, maybe just finished college, and they are launching into a career in full-time vocational ministry. They're being pastors, youth pastors, whatever. They're out there serving God in the ministry. It's, I mean, it's a great joy to see them and so many of these young folk running around, right? But you know what? It is equally as exciting to see those mid, middle-aged who God has kind of captured and said, hey, here's what I want you to do. I want you to leave your life of business, and I want you to go in full-time vocational ministry. I realize it means like starting over, you got some education you got to do, you got that college degree, and that one's not going to help you in this next college degree, but I-, I, want, I want you to head on to a new path in life. Or some that have become Christians, and God has so captivated their, their path that they knew going into ministry is, is where God had them, and so they're leaving what they'd been doing up till now. That's an amazing story in those testimonies from those men and women. What they're saying is God has a new future for me, and though at 40, 45, 50, it doesn't really make sense to leave the occupation I knew that I've gained so much traction in for the last 20 or 30 years, God has a future and a direction for me. And so they did. They left those things and headed out into vocational ministry. Listen, this morning, you don't have to head that path. God may have not called you into full-time ministry. That's perfectly fine. But he has called you into a future. And God says, you got to embrace that future because it's not going to look like the past. And if you live in shame and guilt, it certainly won't be that. Listen to what the passage says, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Like God is saying here, look, when you come to know me, that old life of shame and guilt, those things that you did or thought or however you acted, that's gone. I don't, I don't even hold that in accountability. That is gone. I'm ushering in the new life. Here's what we do if we're not careful. I'm all for it, God. I'll take this new life. This is great. This is awesome. And as we usher, but we don't quite want to let go of the old life. 
I'd like to hang on to this, God, because I want to do a little daily compare and contrasting because there may be some days this was just more exciting and fun, and I'll be this today, and then I'll be this tomorrow. And, it, and God says it doesn't work that way. Like, like those are in conflict and competition with one another. He says, look, I'm going to strip that away, release that old life, especially if there's guilt and shame, and let the new life take over entirely. Gosh, I don't know how God does it all. I don't know how he changes us like that, but he does it. You know, I coached college baseball. I was 23 years old, and um, I, I was in this little town in Kentucky, and I had a pulse, and I had played college baseball, so they hired me to coach this baseball team. And all I knew is what I kind of did on my college baseball team, which, again, was not a lot because I didn't play much. But I watched what we did. I practiced. I did those kind of things, and I thought, well, I don't know what I'm doing out on this college field. Um, these guys are like two years younger than me. I guess I'll just teach them what was just taught to me a few years ago, and we'll try to do something. Now, it, it, it helped that uh, this particular college had never won more than nine games in the history of their college baseball program. That helps. That's not, that's not really hard to follow, right? If I could just win six or seven as a part-time young guy who knows nothing, I'll look okay. Well, the first day of practice, we went out to the field, and I watched them throwing around, and I had played on a college team that was, was mostly ranked the whole time, the top 25 the whole time I was there, um, not because of me, but I was there. And when I looked out on the field the first day, I was like, oh, my goodness, I don't know if we'll win a game this year, much less nine, you know? I came home, and Shree said, well, how did it go the first day? We had just recently been married, and I said, I, I, I don't know. We're not very good, like, at all. Um, and yet somehow that year, as we jumped out there and I just taught what I knew, a few basics that I had been taught, that I had understood from my former coaches, somehow we won 25 games that first year. Most of the school had ever won by a long shot. First time the school had ever gone above 500. We won 24 the second year. Now, what's even more exciting for us is we were one of only two schools in our entire association, 307 baseball programs. We were one of only two that didn't offer scholarships. That means when I went out to recruit, I was like, hey, I'd really like you to come here. I got no money for you. And, of course, we played against every school that, that had scholarships. So it made it a little tough. Can I tell you, outside of just teaching what had been taught to me, I mean, I had learned some things. I had wrote them down in notebooks. I took those notebooks and tried to teach them. Outside of that, I can't tell you today how in the world that happened. I have no idea. I, you, know, you might say, well, you must have been a really good coach. No, I'm not. I look back at things, I go, I can't believe we even got away with that. How, I mean, those were dumb decisions. Somehow God just kind of blessed. And, and there was an amazing, there's amazing turnaround in the program in those two years. I look at that and I say, what God is saying is, look, I've got a future for you. You don't have to know anything about it. In fact, there's some times when I'd say, like, my life has changed as a believer in Jesus Christ, and I don't understand quite how he did it. I don't understand why I'm new. I run into some people sometimes who were one way, and now I look at who they are, and I go, how in the world, Lord, did you transform that person that way? I've run into guys that are so gruff and mean and angry and then I turn around and I watch them raising their hands and, and clapping for the Lord and worship and serving in our kids' ministry program just a few years later. I go, how in the world, Lord? I don't always have the answer. But I know what God is saying is I have a future for you I want you to embrace. And if you want to keep holding on to the old life 
If you want to keep saying, you know, like, hey, I'm a Christian, but I got to keep hanging on to this shame, you'll never usher in the future God has for you. Take a look at the next passage, Romans chapter 8, verse 22. This is like a, a, a most often quoted Bible verse. It says this, and we know that God causes everything to work together for good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. What a wonderful passage. Now, we often read it like this. We know God causes everything to work together for good, and we put a period there. That's not what God's word says. Notice also, it does not say everything happens for a reason. Have you ever uttered that in your life? Do you know people that utter this? Not a biblical phrase here. That's not what the passage is saying. Everything happens for a reason. I mean, maybe it is a little biblical. Everything happens for a reason. Sometimes the reason is I'm selfish and I'm stupid. And that's why it happened. Because <laughs> I made that kind of decision. Right? But God doesn't like ordain everything. It's not like today I think I'm going to go out and I'm going to really sin hard. Because God has ordained that to happen. There's no sin in God's will. Everything doesn't happen for a reason. Everything doesn't come to being because of God. But God says in this passage, which is more beautifully written, everything will work together for good for those who love him, those who are called. Can I tell you, you're all called. Every single one of you are called to his purposes. And he says, I'm going to work those for your good. Like all the junk that you've done in your life, all the things that you would feel like, I've kind of messed things up here, I blew it over here. Man, when I did that, it took me years to kind of recover and work through that. I'm, I'm still not quite through it. I'm still lingering on a past hurt and a past relationship. I mean, I used to you know, go out on Friday nights, maybe you'd say this, and I'd say, I mean, if, it could end, if the night could end in somebody's bed, that's the way I did it. And I mean, on and on and on, that God would actually say in his word, tell you what, I'll take all that junk, I'll redeem you from it, and I will work it to your good. Somehow I will work this for good. Now, I'm not a very good chess player. And if I played you, you'd probably beat me pretty fast. But I know this. If I played you and you were good, and I got myself pretty messed up, which would happen you know, pretty quickly, that the passage was saying, like, if God took over my spot, he could look at the junk of my chessboard, and he could figure out a way to beat you. That's what the verse is saying. I'll work it to your good. For some of you, you didn't learn from other people teaching you, your parents saying, hey, when you grow up, don't do this. Or you didn't learn from watching somebody else mess up and you learned from that. Like you had to actually learn from putting your head into the wall and then go, oh, the wall is hard. It hurts. Like you had to learn that way, right? God says, like, I'll take that. I will take your beat up head and I will work it together for good. If you will love me and you will trust me. Why? Because he's got a great future for you. The old is gone, shame and guilt, and the new has come. The takeaway this morning, a couple questions to ask you. They each correspond with the points. This is time for you to just fill in the blank. I got nothing to put in your blanks here. This is all for you. Here's the first question. It goes along with accept which cannot be changed. What do you need to accept and let go of? Like, what have you just held on to? I mean, it's almost like a badge of honor to you, though there's no honor in it at all, to release and say, I did this, it's over, this was done to me, it's done, and God wants to redeem me, but I keep holding on to it. What do you need to accept and then let go of? Release it. That blank is for you. 
In fact, this week for you, what you might have to do is you might have to say, I need to release this. I need to let go of this, but you're not convinced yet. And you're like, I need to let go of this, but your hands aren't moving. You haven't quite done that yet. Write that thing down. And I'm encouraging every week, like we talked about last week, for our daily devotion time, getting up and having a time with God, get up and have a time with God and focus on that one issue. And talk to God about it every single day. God, I know I need to release this. I, I can't figure out how to do it. And then move on the next day. And the next day, and keep doing business with God. Eventually, God is going to lead you. You're going to find the level of trust in God, and you're going to be able to let it go. Use those blanks and write that down. Here's a second question. It corresponds with the second point. Embracing God's future. Where is God directing your future? Where is it? Like for many of you, like you know exactly what God is doing and where he's leading you. But you're like, man, this old life is kind of fun sometimes. And it becomes an obstacle and a stumbling block to getting to where God wants to lead. Or God is leading and you're clear and you're just like, I'm, I don't know, God. I hear a lot of transformation stories, but I don't know that that can be me. Write that down. And every day in your quiet time, say, God, I know you're leading me here. I know you're leading me here. Please remove the obstacles. Please just let me kind of let go and head that direction. Or maybe for you, you're saying, I don't know. I don't know where God is leading, what he has for me. And that's your prayer. Start praying, God, lead me, direct me. Put it on your red card. Let me pray along with you. God, lead me, direct me to what you would have me do and where you would have me go, what job you would have me do, where are we going to live? You know, if you're on the, the dating scene, God, like who would you have out there? I want to put it all before you first, God, because you have a future that I need to embrace. So I want to pray for you now. And if you spent any time writing something down, if you didn't, if you're like, oh, people will see, I know it's in your head. So let's just use a moment. We're going to go before God, and I want to give you just a moment, just you and God, to speak and talk about this issue. Let's pray. Father, this morning I give you praise that I, I can just look around this room and I can see so many, Lord, that would give testimony to exactly what we're talking about, that, that would give testimony to say, Lord, I, I released that in my life and you directed me, you redeemed me and you called me and now I am doing this for your kingdom. I'm living the joy of my salvation. If that's, if that's you this morning and, and you're like, I, I, don't, I don't have that testimony, I know that I keep just grabbing hold of the guilt and the shame of my life, and I can't quite see that I am more than that. I want you to know this morning you have a God who loves you, a God who views you as so much more than you're thinking you are. And this morning, I'm praying his voice would be much louder than your voice, that you could embrace it and receive it. And if there's something you wrote down on your sheet, there's something you said, I need to release this. I need to accept it. But you know right now, man, I am up against really doing it. Take it to God right now. I want to give you just a few seconds of quiet. Take it to God and release it. Speak to him about it right now. Go for it. And then, Lord, maybe there's others that would say, I, I think I've released that, um, but I know that there's a future that I haven't quite embraced. 
there's a future, Lord, that God has for me, and I'm struggling going that direction. Or maybe there's a future that God has for me, but there's just times where the old life is fun, even in its destruction. And so now, uh, though I don't feel held captive by shame and guilt, I, I've not embraced just leaping into the faith of my future. And so right now, I'm just going to pray that if any way, whatever you wrote down there, way, that where is God directing your future? I want to pray right now, just give you a few moments just to do business with God, just to say, God, I'm yours. I'm yours. Why go out here this morning and just running back to the regular mill of life? Let's go out, just release to say, I'm yours, to do it, whatever it is, Lord. Maybe God's been directing you to the future, and his future is to say, I want you to share Christ with everyone at your work and in your family. You've held back every week, but I want you to get out there and share Christ. You see, I know that's my future. I've just been nervous about it. Release it to God. Maybe God has a change in your life. You're moving jobs and locations or whatever it may be, and you know God's been directing you. Maybe there's even one out there that says, I'm one of those people that God is directing out of my vocation into a full-time ministry. If that's you, just, just a few moments, talk to God about it. Okay, Lord, and now as we are wrapping up this, this our, our time of encouragement and challenging one another and being together as the body, Lord, now we need to just ask for your presence to send us out there and be the people of your kingdom. For those that we work with or we live with in our neighborhoods, our family members, those who are less fortunate in our community that we need to be a blessing to, Father, there is a general calling you've put on all of us to serve you, to love you, to share your name, to bless those who need to be blessed. Now send us out and be that for our community and our sphere of influence, we pray. In your son's name, amen. Amen.